welcome to the Storm Through Anything podcast. We're your hosts, Jessica and Riley. We have been super excited to talk about heat for a really long time. Uh, Riley and I had actually done a podcast about heat uh, like months ago, like in springtime. We wanted to push this information out. We were hoping that like just by um, kind of briefing everybody on research that was currently done and has been done over the last 10, 15 years, that we would have the confidence to speak about it. But the truth is, we really were missing the, the secret ingredient, which is doing it and seeing it from our own perspective to know for 100% certainty that like what we're saying is is now true. So today it's a hot button subject because all we're talking about is heat. Uh, we have a special guest. It's Jim Slater, the founder of Canine Storm. And the reason why we asked him to be here today is because we thought he would add a lot of insight and history perhaps into some of these questions that we have that are burning hot that we need answers for. So let's just jump right into it. The very first fact is canine storm vests do not increase your dog's internal body temperature. So how do we know that? Well, that's a great question, Jess. And it's, um, you know, it's one that people have been asking Canine Storm for a very long time. In fact, we can go back as far as 2009 when Dr. Sylvia Rashke did a study uh, for a number of Canadian departments up, up here in Canada. And um, they found at that time that uh, wearing uh, a vest had no effect whatsoever on your dog's internal temperature. Um, we've been getting asked that question for the next 13 years. Um, and so we decided uh, to become our expert at this topic as well. And so we commissioned a biosystems engineer from the University of Manitoba here to, in fact, conduct a study uh, to either confirm or uh, dispute the facts uh, that Dr. Rashke found and living or dying by the results. And the fact of the matter is um, that canine storm vests do not increase the internal or external temperature of your dog. And we are going to publish yeah, that study. Like absolutely. we're going to publish the, all 60 pages. How did we collect the data? Well, the internal temperature, we used a very sophisticated device. Um, it was actually developed by NASA. It has For a, astronauts. For astronauts. Going yeah, into for, was, space. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was done for, for humans. Um, and so uh, basically what happens is you have the dog ingest a capsule, get that into their, their stomach, and we're able to really take remote readings while the dog is in the study. We set it for every five minutes to document the pinpoint so you can see the dog's temperature rise or fall in a variety of different scenarios. So the equipment was very sophisticated to receive the internal temperature. It was real time. We didn't have to stop the dog at any point to gather that data. And it was all done remotely with a, a device as well as uh, something that, that uh, you know, kind of went one step further is we put five sensors on the dog. Some of the sensors were under the vest, some were outside the vest to ensure that simultaneously we were gathering, gathering data um, that's really irrefutable when it comes to um, the simplicity of, of the way it was acquired. So one of the things we wanted to take out of the equation was the dog's fitness level. Fitter dogs will recover quicker uh, after they exert themselves, but it really has no bearing on whether or not they're wearing a, a vest. So we wanted to kind of um, make the common denominator as simple as possible. Dog in the vest, what's the temperature? Dog out of the vest, what's the temperature? Dog in the vest, what's the temperature? Dog out of the vest, what's the temperature? Dog doing an activity in the vest, dog doing an activity outside the vest. We wanted to really capture it all. Exactly. And I think we were successful in doing that um, with the approach that we've taken here. And it, this is, uh, that's exciting to release those details. So interestingly, what we did discover is that while wearing a canine storm vest, the dog's internal temperature uh, while out in the sun is actually two degrees cooler on average 
than it would be when he's not wearing the vest. And that's what everybody's, you know, most concerned about, right? And and you should be concerned about the your dog working in the heat in in any situation. But, you know, you can rest assured that the temperature is not affected by the dog wearing a canine storm vest. So we have this data. This is how we proved to ourselves, essentially, that dogs do not have an increase in body temperature when wearing a canine storm ballistic vest. That point being made, have you ever done a study or have you ever lived in Houston, one of the hottest places on earth, Jacksonville, Yuma? I even had someone very cheekily ask me, have you ever lived in Syria before? And um, Little do they know. You have. (laughs) I I have never been to Syria and I've never lived in Syria. Um, But that comment really did stick with me. Honestly, every time a handler um, does speak with me, the conversation does stick because my goal is really to get them everything that they need so that they can do their job and come home safely. So I looked into the weather for Syria and I compared it to a city that I thought would be a very comparable in terms of heat levels, which um, turns out to be Phoenix, Arizona. And I compared the two cities and it turns out that they're very similar. However, Phoenix, Arizona is actually hotter than it is in like the hottest city in Syria, which is Derizor. I don't know how to pronounce that correctly, but Phoenix was hotter and we have vests there. So I know that they're going to uh, compare in the exact same way in both places. That point being made, our next topic we're talking about, is this data applicable that we found here in Canada, is this data applicable to other dogs in the world? It's applicable across the board. So uh, dogs that work in hot climates, uh, firstly, um, there's an acclimation period, which helps them, uh, you know, adjust to higher, you know, ambient temperatures, uh, different levels of humidity and so forth. Um, Dogs that, that work in this environment, live in this environment. So they're, they're halfway there. Again, um, because dogs cool themselves differently than human beings, putting on a can storm vest does not in any way impede their ability to cool themselves. So in this climate, Syria, Phoenix, Canada, it, it, it really comes down to the same uh, result once you put the vest on. Fitness is always a, a key element in you know a dog's ability to work rather uh, longer on a track or have more endurance. It's like a, a human athlete, a dog, person trains, person trains for a specific event that they're competing in um, or working in on a daily uh, daily basis, um, they're going to be more prepared uh, for that deployment. Uh, as And so the same thing is true with a dog. Dogs working and training in that environment, um, they're going to be well prepared uh, to answer the bell on game night. Yeah. And talking more about environment, uh, we have a ton of very amazing nonprofits donating vests to dogs all over America. So it is not just the the um, northern states, it is the all the states, ones that are on the southern border, ones that are in the hottest places, Florida, Arizona, Texas, and North Carolina, South Carolina, all these places that are extremely hot all the time. And one group was the recipient of a ton of vests, um, and that is Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, which is in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, we had the pleasure this summer of going to Maricopa County Sheriff's Office and it was right after the final week of our heat study actually so we were going there thinking that we were going to be sharing this amazing news with them that proved that dogs do not have an increase in body temperature while wearing these vests but it was 
super shocking because right when we got off the plane and we saw them for the first time, they came up to us and said, These vests are state-of-the-art. They're ballistic. They're stab-proof. They're, they are everything that we you could ever want our dogs to wear during our missions, especially when, we're, when we are encountering dangerous suspects, uh, uh, dangerous situations. These, do- these vests protect our dogs, but at the same time, they, like I said, they're so state-of-the-art. They let our dogs... Our dogs are still able to maneuver and jump and do everything that uh, that you would think that a dog should be able to do, right? Now, uh, we, we've ran tests with these vests with all of our dogs. All of our dogs are chipped to monitor the temperature of our dogs, right? You know how hot it gets here in Phoenix. We don't want our dogs to overheat. But we were a little worried with these vests, putting them on, they were going to overheat. These vests, again, are so state-of-the-art. We ran tests with these with these dogs wearing these vests. The temp- it doesn't affect their temperature at all. So uh, we're, we're able to keep these dogs in uh, oper- uh, premier operating temperatures while they're wearing these vests. So there's no there's no worry of them overheating while they're wearing them. Uh, they have they have several hookup points for these dogs for these uh, for the leads. They actually have a, a repelling. Uh, apparatus that we could use when we're, we, we have to ever put them in a helicopter or anything like that. Uh, these dogs are these dogs are these dogs wear these vests as soon as they get in the patrol car and come into work and they take them off and they get home and they go lay down. So to the to the, to the dogs, that vest is the most is one of the most valuable things. So because. When he puts that on, guess what? He gets to go out and go to work. He gets to go chase bad guys. He gets to find drugs. He gets to, find, he gets to have fun. That, that's the fun time. So the, so Andy can attest, all of us can tell you, when that vest comes on, these dogs, they jump us to another level. But then they went even further. Not only did they say that their dog's body temperature did not increase, what they also said was that the dogs were actually cooler wearing their vests on a sunny day because it protected their bodies from the UV rays, essentially, which was protecting the dog from getting warmer. So for me, that was like we could not have wrote it better if we wanted to. Like this was uh, without a doubt a huge win. And um, this, I think, further proves the applicability of this research to show that it's not just in Canada that this research applies, but everywhere. For me, one of the biggest takeaways from the study that the team in Maricopa County did was the fact that it was 100% independent. It had nothing to do with anything that Canine Storm was doing. We did not commission them or even bring up the fact that we were doing this study in any way. So to hear this, the results from them, it was quite incredible. And it's important to understand this because now this brings us to our third topic. Dogs cool themselves differently than humans. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's maybe start talking about, like, first of all, their anatomy, like they, how God made them with fur. Exactly. And those are good points. And, and, and very often what happens is, uh, you know, we've seen this thousands of times, really, where I'm working in a hot climate, I'm working out in the sun, I'm carrying all these extra magazines and weight and armor and, and weaponry and so forth, and I'm sweating, I'm hot. Um, I think, my, I look at my dog, and I think, well, if he's going to wear that, he's going to be equally as hot. And it's just, again, simply not, not the fact or the truth, because he doesn't cool himself the same way I do. Um, unfortunately, I, ha- <laughs> I have to sweat and, you know, get rid of that heat, dissipate that heat. Whereas a dog pants, and that's how, and he could be panting in, in times, like anytime his body temperature starts to rise, he will naturally start to pant to, to maintain and cool himself, whether he's wearing a vest, whether he's not wearing a vest. And that's just his normal 
a way to cool himself. Of course, his ears and his feet also play a role in his ability to cool himself. But nowhere on his body is there any mechanism that we're covering or impeding by putting on Canstorm armor onto this dog in order for him to dissipate any of that heat. So humans do sweat, obviously, yes. in order to cool themselves. And what we're saying um, is like we naturally get wet um, from sweat, like underneath our armpits, our faces, um, on our whole bodies, really. We sweat to cool ourselves, but dogs don't experience that. When we pet the dog after working out, they're not wet, no, exactly. like sweating, so to speak. The dog cools, cools himself through their panting, which is their mouth, uh, their paws, like the pads of their paws and their tips of their ears. I would like to, even though this is, um, everyone must know this, um, it's important to highlight that the vest does not cover any of these body parts. So the vest does not cover their paws. Their vest does not cover their mouth. The vest does not cover uh, their tips of their ears. So with all this information that we're talking about right now, we are certain that Canine Storm is the only proven vest that does not increase the body temperature. And we say this while also saying that our vests are not breathable. So the next topic that we're gonna be talking about is breathability. The question that I have is, is it important to have vests for dogs that are breathable? This is a huge subject that we are talking about. People phone and ask me this all the time. If you look on our website, you won't see even one word about how breathable our vests are. But handlers do phone me and ask me about this, about the breathability of our vests. And Ryan, maybe let's touch base so everyone can see um, what the definition of breathability is in textile sciences. So the definition of breathability is the ability of a fabric to allow perspiration evaporated by the body to escape to the outside thereby allowing complete comfort of the wearer. The thing is like breathable breathable clothing is a is a um a marketing tool for human clothing. Well human clothing there might be advantages. I'm sure there's scientifically proven that you know if your clothes can breathe and you can get air to your skin you're going to dissipate heat and moisture from the skin surface quicker. I'm sure that's a like you know 100% a great thing for human beings. Uh, but because dogs don't cool themselves in that fashion, it takes a human marketing campaign and tries to apply it to uh, the dog. And that's just not an accurate uh, assertion. It's just, just simply not because dogs don't cool themselves by sweating. And going a little bit um, further on that topic even is over the years, we've been to a lot of trade shows and there has been a lot of opportunities for handlers to come up to us and talk to us about modifying different designs of the vest so that it allows for more breathability. Can you make this part of the vest with mesh so that it's breathable? Or can you cut out the stomach area uh, in order for airflow to kind of go go through? So let's touch a little bit about that. Um, this is like, all, obviously all their questions are coming out in an effort to cool the dog down. And we have the same goal. We want the dog to be as cool as possible. We want the dog's ability to cool him or herself, not not to be impeded upon by wearing uh, our Kinestorm ballistic vest. So, of course, those are good questions. There are, you know, you know, if there was something that would make a difference there, we would take those steps, um, and we have. We've commissioned the study to find out what really is going to affect it. But the other thing that we have to, to concern ourselves with is we're building a piece of apparel for your dog that is to stop bullets and protect them from 
what is in fact um, the greater danger to any working and or search and rescue dog that's that's out there. So um, we're focusing on protecting and providing and taking away every potential target area, the majority of the potential target areas on your dog, while still enabling that dog to work and perform in you know at the highest levels in every single profile that the dog's trained to to perform in. And so uh, by removing parts uh, in an effort to keep it cooler, um, you know, as I said earlier, it's it's a non-starter because that makes no difference with regards to the dog's temperature, making it more you know trying to use fabrics that are breathable or provide venting or air holes or mesh portions um, make no difference whatsoever. Taking away ballistic material to allow more open areas in the dog. Um, is successful in doing only one thing, and that's providing more potential target area on the dog. So um, none of those things work to help the dog keep cooler, but every time you take away a, like a, a component of, uh, of armor, um, the dog becomes uh, more vulnerable to injury. Knowing now all the things that we've discussed and all the things that we do know, can your dog get heat stroke or heat injuries while wearing a canine storm ballistic vest? Yeah, you know, let's make one thing very, very clear. Like, you know, heat exhaustion, heat stroke is a, is a real thing. We're not at any moment saying, like, don't monitor your dog. Put on a canine storm vest and your dog is safe from heat. This is not what we're saying. We're saying, like we've always said, is, you know, when you're working in, in situations of high heat and high humidity, that you need to monitor your dog for heat stroke. As um, you've been trained to do. As you've been trained to do, whether he's wearing a vest or whether he's not wearing, wearing a vest. Um, but more importantly, what we can say with you know, the study, the backing of three studies is that in no way is a canine storm vest impeding that dog's ability to cool himself. So it becomes a non-factor in whether or not you should be just, you know, choosing or deciding to wear your vest based on, on heat. So Ry, you took a look at some stats um, on a very verifiable website and you found some information that would be valuable to this conversation. There's a website called O dmp.org. This website tracks every single canine death as well as regular police officer death that have died in the line of duty in America in the past 50 years. There have been 490 police dogs killed in total. 44% of all recorded deaths have been the result of assault injuries, accounting for a total of 214 deaths. This includes 146 dogs who have been killed by gunfire. 27 dogs who have been killed by friendly fire, 24 dogs who have been stabbed, 12 dogs who have been beaten to death, 4 dogs who have had animal-related injuries, 1 dog has been killed by impalement from the environment. The next largest category, and somewhat surprisingly, is actually vehicle-related deaths, accounting for 33% of all lethal encounters and 163 deaths. This includes 74 dogs being struck and killed by vehicles when working. 60 dogs have died from being trapped in a hot car. And 29 dogs have been killed in car accidents during transport. The third largest category is miscellaneous injuries at 18% and 89 total deaths. This includes things like falling, 26 deaths, exposure to toxins, 11 deaths, or drowning at nine deaths. Finally, the smallest category would be considered heat stroke at 5% of all recorded deaths, accounting for a total of 24 dogs. We keep hearing everywhere that heat stroke is the number one cause of deaths of dogs. Mm. And this data simply proves that is not true. These stats are there to show 
and indicate that this is what's going to get your dog killed or injured. It's people. It always has been and it always will be. It's not the environment that's your number one threat. It's actually nine times more likely that your dog will be shot or stabbed or impaled than they could potentially die of heat stroke. This year alone, already 10 dogs have been killed by gunfire. One stat on the website that is most surprising is there was 27 dogs that passed away from friendly fire. Comparing these stats side by side, statistically speaking, you're actually more likely to shoot your own dog than to have them die of heat stroke. These are really, really important stats for people to know because I don't think these numbers are very well known. Everyone knows the threat of heat stroke, but there are so many other threats out there. One dog is too many. So 24, I can't say, well, that's a low number. But I thought I was almost certain that that number was higher on the website. I thought it was something like 80 something dogs died of heat stroke or heat injuries. So when it comes to heat stroke, you're 100% correct. If you click that and you classify them out to just say heat stroke, you'll show up currently 84 results in their in their database. Having said that, when you actually look at the way that the dogs have passed away, out of those 84, 60 have died in a hot car where air conditioning has failed. 60, that is three times the amount of dogs that have died of heat stroke from tracking or on a training mission, something along these lines. So those numbers are quite skewed. They haven't really died of heat stroke because of what the work they're doing. They've died or of what heat they've been wearing. They've died of heat stroke from a very unfortunate circumstance. These two stats are completely different. And in this, in these stats right now that you're talking about, you haven't mentioned any of the dogs that have been shot or stabbed um, that have not died. So there are a ton of dogs that have been injured in a stabbing or a shooting incident where they go home and they're potentially retired, um, but that is not recorded on this website because they haven't passed away. So how many more numbers could we add to that? to that 200 something this number would certainly be much higher so again really important to know the stats and to be aware that heat stroke is not the number one cause of death for canines it's, it's really people all those things are valuable and we're going to take that into our next topic which is when my dog's wearing his canines from ballistic vest and i stick my hand in between his body and the vest i feel that it's really hot in there is the heat being trapped inside and is it a good idea for me to unzip the vest and allow heat to come off his body so he could cool down? Okay, no, that's not a good idea. It goes back to the earlier conversations with regards to cutting away segments to make them more breathable. Um, no, he doesn't need this. There's no, no evidence at all that the dog cools himself from his skin or what we're covering with the ballistic material. We put external um, temperature sensors between his uh, coat, his skin, and um, and the um, ballistic material in the in his canine storm vest, and we have absolutely no evidence of that based on the on the the readings from these five sensors that we used during these studies that we conducted. So There's zero evidence of that. So no, that's not not a good idea. For our study, just to recap, their dogs not only swallowed an internal thermometer, yeah. which captured their internal body temperature, we also put a very expensive uh, sensors on the inside of the vest so that it could be in between the, the body and the vest. Yeah. And then we also put uh, in a very expensive uh, external sensor on the right on the outside cusp of the vest so that the vest isn't covering it, but it's like in the air, essentially. And so those two... Yeah, it things was, did it was not they were identical yeah it was routinely what well, was either that or the ones that weren't covered by the vest were actually hotter 
uh, because they were in direct, uh, you know, contact with UV rays from the sun. So um, it was either the same, no, no change noted, or as I said, the ones that were not under the vest were actually uh, picking up hotter readings. The next question that I have is, if I choose a black vest for my dog or a tan vest for my dog, is he going to be cooler in the tan vest, for example? The vest color makes no difference on the dog's internal temperature. The one thing is that the external temperature, it'll feel warmer to the touch for sure if you have a black vest because it's trapping the heat on the outside. But that heat does not transfer through the, the canine storm vest and then through the ballistic panels and then onto your dog's body. So there's, again, no evidence to support that. The vest color that you choose is increasing or decreasing your dog's internal temperature. And just a little bit about that also, uh, we're going to put another study up if um, anyone wants to read about it. There was also a heat study conducted on dogs that were uh, tan color versus dogs that were black in color. I right. think there was a black lab and a yellow lab. Yeah. And um, like they both found that there was no difference in cooling abilities for both dogs as well. So um, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, my dog is black, um, he's going to be attracting that heat and, and holding in his body more. That is also has been proven to be a myth as well. Um, again, they know how to uh, regulate their bodies so that they can live accordingly in their in their climates. So now taking it from myths, uh, one of the final topics we're going to be talking about, which I have um, also experienced speaking to handlers about, is does wearing a canine storm ballistic vest make your dog more tired when they're wearing it? If somebody's known, well, I just got my vest and um, you know, put on the dog and he seems to get a little tired a little quicker, that comes down to a situation of, of training and conditioning for the dog. Um, just like people, uh, dogs need to condition for um, the profiles that they're being worked in. Um, that includes everything from agility to to tack work, to tracking, especially, um, you know, searching, um, because he's going to be carrying an extra three pounds. Now it's, it's very similar to, to operators and handlers that are, that are wearing a variety of, uh, you know, different pieces of, of gear and, and equipment. Um, you don't train in your t-shirt, uh, you gear up completely. You've got loaded, uh, you know, uh, magazines full of ammunition. You've got, uh, you know, ordnance or, you know, stuns or, or, uh, you know, canisters of, of, you know, all types of different things that you may deploy during an operation. And the same, you have to train with that weight on to get accustomed to it, to build muscle strength and endurance. And likewise, uh, the dog does too. And it's, we're only, and for him, uh, thankfully, <laughs> he doesn't have to carry, you know, you know, one one hundredth of what you're carrying. Really, he's carrying three pounds. So, um, so conditioning definitely yeah. is the last thing definitely. that we're, we're trying to kind of debunk or the weight of the vest is really something that we're really trying to conquer now too, because will your dog get more tired? Well, they won't if you're training them to be prepared for that weight. And, um, and really it's only one and a half pounds heavier than, um, something that doesn't have ballistics, for example. So it is something that can definitely be, um, be learned and used and trained so that on game day that they're ready to perform. And so this kind of leads us to our final topic to kind of conclude everything, which is the risk versus reward of wearing, um, your Cannon Storm Patrol SWAT vest or Cannon Storm Ballistic vest. Um, the reason why I wanted to talk about it is I know that handlers have had to make the decisions on perceived facts, perceived truths. Um, do I wear my vest 
and increase the chance that the dog is going to be um, getting a heat injury? Um, or do I not wear my vest but risk my dog potentially getting shot or stabbed? So let's talk about the risk and reward now, yeah. now that we have everything, we kind of can like bring it all together now. That's a great question, Jess. And, um, you know, there's really, it really comes down to like three sort of common sense um, reasons why. Why would you put Canine Storm vest on your dog? Well, number one, you know, from the financial point, that's a cold sort of angle to look at it. But, you know, he, the dog is an asset to the department. He's worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars by the time he gets his training, this kennel, and um, the, the handler gets up to speed. So there's that. You want to prevent, an, a, you know, an injury if possible by minimizing the potential target area it's on the dog for the financial reason. Um, there's the emotional reason, right? Um, there's nobody that's ever put a dog down. There's a, you know, if you're in that world, um, like I've been where, you know, you've worked a dog and eventually, uh, he's had to be put down. Um, there's nothing, that's a club nobody wants to be in. Um, there's certainly nobody wants to be in the club where your dog was, was injured in a, in a, by an assault or a knife or a gun, even worse. Um, so there's that he's a part of your, you know, like it or not. Uh, and despite what anybody says, there's no nobody on the job who's ever worked a dog that's going to say, yeah, like, you know, he's just, yeah, it's, he's expendable. He's not expendable. He's ends up being part of your family. He ends up being part of your life. So there's that emotional tie, right? There's that, that reason. And then last but not least, um, you know, again, um, that dog is is put into situations at our, um, our doing as, as human officers and handlers um, to go out there and do something, uh, do a job, um, and, you know, potentially detect somebody, that person may come up armed, um, you know, nobody's sending their dogs in on suicide missions. This is not what the, the you know, we're not putting armor on the dog to send him into a suicide mission. We're sending him to go do the job he's regularly doing, tracking, tracking that, you know, all of a sudden turns into a, to a gunfight or a knife fight or, you know, the dog's being, uh, he's under attack. And so all that being the case, the dog is out there in front of you and that, you know, having armor on the dog does definitely reduce the, the vulnerable areas on the dog um, and therefore uh, give you that extra second, half a second to realize you're in a lethal encounter. Um, the longer that dog stays alive, the longer potential you have to stay alive and then obviously um, react accordingly to a, a lethal encounter. Um, so in essence, what you're doing is your job, the job that you're you're paid to do and you go out there to do with your dog and then come home safely because you, you have a family, you have friends, you have uh, people, uh, your coworkers that need you to come home from this event safely. And that's the whole point of putting canine storm armor on a dog. And bringing that back to heat, I think this is something that we really want to get across in this whole video is you do not have to make that decision as a handler. You have other decisions to be making that are more important than whether or not you should or shouldn't be putting your vest on your dog on a certain scenario because of heat or perceived um, perceptions of uh, heat truths that actually have been now debunked. So wear your vest, do your job and come home safely and do not think twice about it. Just put your vest on at the beginning of your shift, take it off when you're done and you don't have to make that decision every day. Thank you to everyone for joining in with us today. Thanks, Bossy, for taking time out of your it's day to join us. It's always us. great to be here, Jess. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always great to have you. And um, we'll, see, we'll meet you guys next time for the next episode. Storm through anything. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.